Good morning, Arlington. Good morning, Grace Live. The Bible says we're created in the image of God. It's a fascinating statement because it's where we get the idea of universal human rights from that totally changed the world. We're all created equal, created in the image of God. A part of that deal of being created in the image of God is the Bible says that God is love, and love is a choice. Love is a decision. It's not a feeling in the Bible. It's a decision, a decision we made. So if you put all that, wrap all of it together, what do you get? Get the fact that we... Created in the image of God, in the very fabric of humanity, God has put inside of us the ability, the importance to choose. Today's message is entitled, It's a Wonderful Choice. This is based off, It's a Wonderful Life. You didn't get to choose when you were born, your biological birth. Nobody asked you. Nobody said, hey, you want to be born today? Nope. You were just born. No one asked you when you want to be born, where you want to be born, or to whom you wanted to be born to. Because if you could choose your biological family, some of us might have chosen a different one. Not me, because my mom is sitting right over there. But some of us <laughs> might have chosen different biological family. But, but your spiritual birth, you didn't get a choice with your physical birth, but your, fear, your, your spiritual birth told you, the choice is entirely yours. This is what we're going to talk about today. We're talking about it's a wonderful, wonderful choice. Have you made the decision, the choice to follow Jesus, to choose Jesus? If yes, why? If no, why? This is what we want to talk about today. But before we get into all that, we need to talk about this phenomenal, incredible, God-inspired Greatest of all time Christmas movie, It's a Wonderful Life. The entire world, except for the great staff, has seen this movie and have concluded that it's absolutely awesome. I'd like to give you some fun facts about that. Can I do that? Just a couple fun facts. You know where this movie began? This movie that you love so much that warms your heart so dearly? You know where it began? It was a Christmas card. Sky wrote a 21-page Christmas card, and he mailed it out to his Christmas list that had 200 people on it. And one of the persons on his Christmas list was a producer at RKO Pictures. And so he contacted the guy who wrote it. He said, I'd like to buy that from you. I'll give you $10,000. And he said, sold. Bought it. Now, the guy from RKO, here was the idea. So he had to work the script around now. You get to turn it into a movie script. And so he wrote it with the idea of the lead actor being, who do you think? Who do you think? Jimmy Stewart? No. Who do you think he thought his lead actor is going to be? Anybody? Just shout it out. Or if you're on Grace Live, type it up. Give us something good. Cary <laughs> Grant. Lead actress? Ginger Rogers. It was set to be Cary Grant and Ginger Rogers instead of Jimmy Stewart and Donna Reed. That's what it was set as. Well, the whole thing fell apart for RKO Pictures, and they sold it for $10,000. They recouped all their money. They sold it for $10,000 to Frank Capra. And Capra rewrote the movie script with one actor in mind to be the lead role. And that guy's name was Jimmy Stewart. Now, Jimmy Stewart had just returned from World War II. He was suffering from what we now know as PTSD. And so Jimmy Stewart said, I can never act again. I don't think I can pull this off. I don't feel like acting again. I don't think I'll be able to achieve a certain level of acting. I'm done. I'm not going to do it. But they really wanted him to do it. So they had another actor who was already set to be in It's a Wonderful Life, who talked Jimmy Stewart into doing this movie, which he says was his favorite movie of all time. Do you have any idea, anybody, who the actor was that was in It's a Wonderful Life that talked Jimmy Stewart into being George Bailey? Anybody? Shout it out. Type it up on Grace Live. What do you think? Come on. I know you all have seen the movie. You've watched it a hundred times. What actor do you think? 
There you go. Lionel Barrymore. Mr. Potter. The evil Mr. Potter is the person who talked George Bailey into performing this great role that has warmed the hearts of millions of people and became the greatest movie, in, in, in Jimmy Stewart's opinion, that he ever did. That he ever did. So there's a couple fun facts about the movie. I want to talk about a book that was written by a psychologist Barry Schwartz called The Paradox of Choice. Because we're talking about all about choices today, right? And what Schwartz says, basically, in the industrialized West, is that the unspoken dogma is, is that we want to maximize our freedom, particularly as Americans. Freedom. We're the home of the brave, the home of the free. We want to be free. And in order to maximize our freedom, we therefore must maximize our choice. So, more freedom requires more choice. So we've got to have lots of choice. We live in the land of opportunity, which is the land of options, which is the land of choices. We love choice. You got to have a lot of choice. And so uh, Schwartz wrote this book, The Paradox of Choice. I encourage you to read it. I haven't read it yet, but I did watch the Cliff Note version, which is called a TED Talk. And so you can see that if you like to. There's some fun things that he shares about what what is the deal with choices and, and what happens when we have so many choices. We have an abundance of choices. It's a way of life in America. When's the last time you booked a flight on a plane? You know, you book a flight on a plane there's no extra charge to get the very small middle seat. They just give that to you free of charge. There's no problem with that. But for a small fee, you can sit on the aisle or by the window, or you can get a little bit of extra leg room for just a small fee. A little extra leg room. The bulkhead seat, the exit row costs you a little bit more money. If you want to upgrade to business class, it's going to be a good amount of money. If you want to go to first class, it's going to be a lot more money. If you want to board first, you can pay for that. I don't know if you can pay to board last, but if you want to board first, you can pay for that. If you want a miles enhancer, you can get that. Can you tell I booked a flight recently? There are so many options, and it is just so awesome to have all these options. Well, what does Schwartz say about this? One of the things I'm thinking about in this whole thing about choice, because we love choice so much, and it's just so much a part of us, particularly as Americans, choice. How does it rub us? When Jesus comes along and says, you know what? You need to take the narrow way. Or he says, you're either for me or you're against me. Or Jesus says, as he does in John chapter 14, this amazing biography of the life of Jesus Christ that we're studying for probably the next year. I am the way. I'm like, come on, the way. Can't we just say I am one of the ways? Wouldn't that be okay to say? I mean, to say I'm the way, that just rubs me the wrong way. It almost smacks of arrogance. Particularly if you've seen somebody say those words in a very arrogant, condemning way. Jesus is the way. You know what I'm saying? So how do we deal with this? It becomes very complex then to choose Jesus Christ. Let me tell you some of the things that Schwartz says about choices. He says in his uh, grocery store, there's 175 different salad dressings that you can choose from. 175. And he says his grocery store isn't even large. Do you think, do you think you could find a salad dressing that you liked amongst those 175? Is that enough? Maybe we should increase it to 200. He loves to wear jeans says that's all he ever wears. And if you watch the TED Talk, he's not wearing a pair of jeans. He's wearing a pair of shorts. And you can tell he doesn't really care about what he wears. But he says he likes to wear jeans and uh, wears them a long time, wears them out, wears them, washes them until they finally feel good because he says jeans just, you know, they don't feel good. 
They don't feel good. They just don't feel good on you. So he walked into the store one day needing a new pair of jeans. And he walked in and the person was there. And they said, I need, he said, I need a pair of jeans. And, and the person said, well, um, you want a skinny fit? You want slim fit? You want a relaxed fit? You want loose fit? You want classic fit? You want boot cut? You want flare cut at the bottom? What do you want? He said, I want the kind that used to be the only kind you could get. That's what I want. And then for the next hour, he tried on gene after gene after gene after gene after gene after gene after gene. And he said this, because remember, he said, usually jeans don't feel good on you. He said he walked out after an hour with the best fitting jeans that he ever had in his life. And as he walked down the street in the best fitting jeans he ever had in his life, he said he felt worse. So he wrote a whole book to try to explain to himself why he felt worse after wearing the best pairing jeans in his life. And this is what he says. We have so many options. And when you present somebody with so many options, you can't help it. It's human nature. Your expectations go through the roof. And when your expectations go through the roof, they'll never be met because they're through the roof. And so when you had no options, you just settled for it and you were happy being miserable. But when you have so many options, you're disappointed because your expectations have gone so high. He shows a little cartoon in his TED Talk, and the cartoon says, things used to be so much better when things were so much worse. My father-in-law, Big Russ, used to tell me, he says, John, here's a great philosophy of life. Wake up every morning, think about what's the worst thing that can happen today, plan for it, and when it doesn't happen, be happy. Schwartz says the secret to happiness in life is low expectations. Low expectations. How do you like to live that way? So options are actually causing us an issue. They're raising our expectations so high. It's interesting, he says in his talk, that clinical depression and suicide in the industrialized West, which is known for options and choices, the abundance of options and choices, that clinical depression and suicide has risen. It's exploded exponentially. And one of the issues that he thinks as a psychologist looking at the data that is going on is that we have all these choices. They've raised our expectations. We are always disappointed because the expectations can never be met because we can never reach perfection. So we always find ourselves in a place of disappointment, right? And eventually we get around to blaming ourselves for that disappointment and that is overwhelming us. It's overwhelming us. Second thing he says that is called, caused with so many choices is paralysis. It just paralyzes us. Paralyzes us. If you ask somebody who works with kids, when you're working with kids, is it a wise move to say to those children, hey, children, here is 20 different choices. What would you like to do today? Is that a good move? You don't do that. You know why you don't do that? Because it stresses them out. You say, here, you can choose this or that, A or B, not A, B, C, D, E, F, G. And you find the same thing is true when we have so many choices. It paralyzes us. Vanguard, huge mutual fund company. They allowed um, for one of Schwartz's colleagues to take a look into their data. And here's what they found. When a company offers mutual funds to their employees and allows a $5,000 a year match, so the company is going to give $5,000 away to the employee, going to match $5,000, all you got to do is choose a fund. 
For every 10 funds that are offered, the participation rate goes down by 2%. So when the company offers 50 funds, and there's well more than 50, when they offer 50 funds, participation rate goes down by 10%. And there are 10% of the people who are missing out on 5,000 free dollars every year. And the reason is, is because they are overwhelmed by the amount of choices that they have. It paralyzes us. So is choice really, really a good thing? So choice is a good thing. It's a great thing. But too much choice actually can be a bad thing. Schwartz ends his TED Talk with this. He's got this cartoon of a fishbowl. It's a little tiny fishbowl. And there's like a parent fish and a child fish in there. And the parent fish says to the child fish, you can be anything you want. No limits. You can be anything you want. No limits. And it's true. You can be anything you want. You just got to break the fishbowl, which might break you. But yes, you can be anything you want. There are no limits. So choice is a good thing. Choice is a great thing. It's who we are. It's built into the fabric. God built it into fabric humanity. But too much choice actually can paralyze us and cause us to feel really disappointed. So here's the thought for today. Is, is choosing Jesus really that complex? I have conversations with people all the time. You know, I don't know. I don't know, how can it be the only way? I mean, how, why can't it be like a buffet? You know, I love the Chinese buffet. You know why I like the Chinese buffet? I like to mix, I just, Chinese food is the only food, I like to mix all of it together. I, I'm not happy unless I take three or four, I know you don't want to hear this, but unless I take three or four entrees and mix them all together. And I hear a lot of people say to me, you know what, that just doesn't right. I want to be able to choose from multiple ways. But is it really that complex? Because here, here in our text, in John chapter 1, it says, Jesus is light. Jesus is life. There is darkness and there is death. Which way would you choose? It's not that complex. It's kind of simple. Do you want to choose light and life or darkness and death? Which one? Well, that choice becomes really easy. It's not very complex. In verse number 10 of our text, it says that, Jesus Christ is basically misunderstood. Jesus came into the world, he's misunderstood. And I said this a couple weeks ago, the gospel of John, the biography that we're given here in this letter of John is called the misunderstood gospel because oftentimes we misunderstand just who Jesus is. And so what John is doing in this entire book, this whole letter is he's clarifying who exactly is Jesus so that we, not at the beginning, it's fascinating. As we go through this book, you'll see he's not asking for a strong, like, you got to make the choice. He gets all the way to the end after he's presented all the information. He says, okay, now choose. Now choose. He's simplifying it. You have team one. Team one is where there's lying and cheating and bitterness and envy and strife. And team two, where there's love and there's forgiveness and there's sacrificial service to other people. Which team would you choose to be on? Well, that's not very hard to pick. You pick George Bailey or Mr. Potter. Which team do you want to be on? You think about the movie, and I know you all have seen it, so I don't have to describe it so much. But this movie starts the same way it ends. 
It starts with little George Bailey. He's about 12 years old. And his younger brother, probably 10, Harry Bailey, breaks through the ice. They were sitting on shovels and going down a hill. And little Harry went too far. And boom, he breaks through the ice. And he's in the freezing cold water. And now George has a choice. The choice is kind of simple, isn't it? I stay warm and dry. Harry dies. Or I jump into the freezing cold water and I save my little brother Harry. Is it really more complex than that? It's pretty simple for George. Now, the movie ends the same way it begins. Gets to the end, George wants to die himself. He's getting ready to jump off a bridge into the freezing cold waters below him, commits suicide because he thinks his life is worthless. And Clarence, the angel who has no wings, comes to save him. So what does Clarence choose to do? Jumps in the freezing cold water because he knows if he jumps in that George will save him because George will put him before himself. And that's exactly what George does. And that saves his life. I want you all to think about this for a second. If you look all throughout history, like if history was on just a long line, in that boom stuck down right in the middle of it is a cross. It's the cross of Jesus Christ. And what you have before Christ, B.C., right, or B.C.E., doesn't matter to me, whatever you want to call it, A.D. or C.E. on the other side. But what you have is it's cut right down. Our entire lives are measured by Jesus Christ. Isn't that amazing? person who never left the little tiny confines of his country, who never wrote a book, who never did anything, and our lives are measured all by him. Today is December the 22nd, 2019. 2019 years since what? 2019 since a peasant carpenter died a shameful death on a cross in the middle of nowhere. And yet our entire lives are measured by Jesus Christ. You've got to ask yourself at some point, how is that possible? You know what's fascinating? The most famous person in the world in Jesus' day was the Roman emperor. The most powerful person on the face of the world was the Roman emperor. And we have so much more about the life of Jesus Christ than we do that Roman emperor. How is that possible? If you're a thinking person, it just makes you think. How could that happen? There was no power source didn't have an endless supply of money to make it happen. How did that happen? And I think it happened because the values that Jesus Christ stood for resonated so deeply with us. And we said, that's the way. That way makes sense. That's the right way. And that just spread all around the world. Now, we're going to talk a lot about this as we get into the new year. Tom Holland wrote a book called Dominion. Tom Holland is an atheist. He's a historian. He is a very accomplished writer. And he began to look into the Roman and Greek era of history. And something came just right up to the top. It's just undeniable, he said, undeniable that Jesus Christ has totally changed the world. Like if you had a choice, do you want to live on this side of the cross or that side of the cross? There's probably not anybody in this room who would want to live on this side of the cross because it was really brutal. You think it's brutal now? Brutal. You want to live on this side of the cross because Christ has totally changed the world. That wasn't a Roman thought. wasn't a Greek thought. That was a Jesus thought. 
that Jesus Christ and his values have made such a huge difference in the world. Like choosing team Jesus is pretty easy. If you're for diversity, well, that's team Jesus. If you're for universal human rights, that's pretty simple. That's for team Jesus. If you're for sacrificial love, that's pretty easy. It's not complex. That's team Jesus. And you might say, okay, John, got it. I know Jesus made these values really, really famous, and Jesus Christ, you know, he changed the world, but I want to choose his values. I just don't want to choose him. And there's a lot of reasons why we don't choose him. And I'll tell you the most famous reason, because I have these conversations with people all the time. I want to choose him because of the people who have misrepresented him. And I'm so ticked off with people who have misrepresented him. I'm so angry and I'm so hurt that I don't want anything to do with it. And that makes the decision really, really complex. But if you remove all the people who have misrepresented Jesus Christ, and you just look at the facts about Jesus Christ and who he is and what he stands for, it's not really hard to say, I want to choose light, not darkness. And this is what John is giving to us. So you might say, you know what? I like his values, but I'm not going to choose him. Now, there is a big problem with doing that, actually. Because if you say, you know, I want to choose the values of Jesus. I just don't want to choose Jesus. There is something like deep down in the foundation that is wrong because the values of Jesus are all about the outside. It's about turning out. It's not being in. It's not about looking in. So if I say, you know, I'm going to choose the values of Jesus. I'm just going to do it for myself, though. Well, that's me turning into myself, saying the answer is in me. And the very values of Jesus and what we value with other people is people who can turn outside of self because it's outside of themselves. To be inside of yourself speaks of pride. And that's the things that break everything down. So there's something inherently wrong then. There's something inconsistent with the very values that we say we cherish. If we say, I choose the values of Jesus but I'm going to choose them on my own standards, my own merits, my own way. I'm not going to look outside of myself. There's also something else we have to think about. Jesus is the author. He's the perfecter. He's the one that made these values famous worldwide. The cross of Jesus Christ is the most famous symbol on the face of the earth. Jesus Christ is the most influential person who has ever walked the face of the earth. These are just statistical facts. This is not opinion. And if he's the one, the author, perfected, the ones that made him famous, and I say, I choose the values and I don't choose him, isn't that plagiarism? We don't like plagiarism. I think we have this huge department in D.C. called the patent department or something. Like, we patent things. So when somebody creates something, we say, mm, that's, that's yours. And to steal that, we really look down upon that. You plagiarize somebody in, in, in college or whatever, you're in trouble, right? I never did. Hope not. Uh, it's bad. So deep down, if I say I choose, I choose the values, I just don't, I just don't choose, choose Jesus. It's basically plagiarism because Jesus Christ is the one who embodied this more than anyone else. It's not a, it's not a Greek thought. It's not a Roman thought. These values that we love so much that we say that resonate so deeply with us. He is the one that made famous. Now, Jesus Christ claims to be God. That is not a new thing. Dozens of people, hundreds of people, hundreds, hundreds of people have claimed to be God. You know what they're called? They're called emperors or they're called kings. And what do they say? I'm God. You must worship me. If you don't bow down and worship me, I'll just cut your head off. I'll kill your whole family. They force you to worship them. They force you into a submissive relationship with them. They force you. They abuse you. They kill by the multitudes. And Jesus Christ comes along and says, I'm God, your choice. What team you want to join? 
king after king after king, emperor after emperor after emperor, comes along and says, I am God, you better bow down. And Jesus comes along and says, I am God, the choice is up to you. I love you, I hope that you'll choose me into your heart because I want to give you light and life. So really, obviously what I'm after is quite simple today. We have a choice. We didn't have a choice in our physical birth. We didn't have a choice with our biological family. We have a total choice to our spiritual family, and the choice is all of ours today. It's all of ours. And it's amazing that we have this choice. I want to read you. This is from a sermon that was preached in 1926. It's called One Solitary Life. I love it. About every five years, I pull it out at Christmas time and I read it. So here we go. Here is a man who was born in an obscure village, the child of a peasant woman. He grew up in another village. He worked in a carpenter shop until he was 30. Then for three years, he was an itinerant preacher. He never owned a home. He never wrote a book. He never held an office. He never had a family. He never went to college. He never put his foot inside a big city. He never traveled 200 miles from the place in which he was born. He never did one of the things that usually accompanies greatness. He had no credentials but himself. While still a young man, the tide of popular opinion turned against him. His friends ran away. One of them denied him. He was turned over to his enemies. He went through the mockery of a trial. He was nailed to a cross between two thieves. While he was dying, his executioners gambled for the only piece of property he had on earth, his coat. When he was dead, he was laid in a borrowed grave through the pity of a friend. Nineteen centuries have come and gone, and today he is the centerpiece of the human race and the leader of the column of progress. I am far within the mark when I say all the armies that ever marched, all the navies that ever sailed, all the parliaments that ever sat, all the kings that ever reigned, put together have not affected the life of humankind upon this earth as powerfully as that one solitary life. That is fairly remarkable. And Tom Holland, an atheist, historian, when he looked at this, he said, how in the world does that happen? How do you get nailed to a cross the most humiliating way to die, and yet you are the most influential person on the face of the earth? How did that happen? Because the values of Jesus Christ resonate so deeply. It's really not that hard to choose Jesus because Jesus not only changes our lives, we all know that the values of Jesus Christ is what will change the world. This world, simply put, will be a much better place if it is a place of love and service and diversity and forgiveness and kindness. We just plain and simple. Of course, that's a no-brainer. So when it comes to making this decision, let's not make it more complex than it is. Having a hundred decisions isn't necessarily better than having two decisions, light or darkness. And this is what John is boiling down for us. Verse number Nine, he says in chapter one, the one who is the true light, who gives light to everyone. He gives light to everyone. Jesus is radically welcoming, not to some people, to every person. It's coming into the world. He came to the very uh, world he created, but the world didn't recognize him. He came to his own people and even they rejected him. I got to take a time out right here because again, I got to remind you, John is writing to a group of Jewish people in the first century who were incredibly well-versed in the storyline of the Bible. By the time a child was the age of 13, they had memorized the first five books of the Bible to be bar mitzvah or bat mitzvah, okay? Whoa! 
First five books. So they know the storyline of the Bible. So when it says right here, he came to his own people and they rejected him. What you have over and over again is the Bible reminds us of a story. This is the way Hebrew thought works. It works through story over and over to remind us of the great grand story of Jesus Christ and his love for us. So when it says he came to his own and they rejected him, who do they immediately think of? They think of the words that exactly parallel Joseph, the story of Joseph. Now, maybe you don't know the story of Joseph from Genesis. It's an awesome story. I highly encourage you to read it. I think it starts in verse chapter 40 or something like that, Genesis. It's great. But maybe you've seen Andrew Lloyd Webber's Joseph in the Technicolor Dreamcoat. Thank you. <laughs> Joseph. What are the highlights of this story? He was loved by his father. Father loved him. Brothers hated him. Father loved him. Brothers couldn't stand him. I mean, they really couldn't stand him. They couldn't stand him so much that they threw the guy in a pit and they were going to kill him. And he's down in the pit crying. He's about 18 years old. He's down in the pit. He's crying. He's crying. crying. Let me go. Let me go. Let me go. And they're upstairs. They're they're just up above the pit. They're just eating. Just having a good time listening to him cry. And they're just relishing it. They're getting ready to kill him. And then one of the brothers said, I got a better idea. If we kill him, all of his pain is over immediately. Let's, Let's let his pain stretch out for a long, long time. Let's sell him into slavery. It's a band of slave traders coming through. They sell him into slavery. He goes down into Egypt. He comes, becomes a slave in the house of a guy by the name of Potiphar. Potiphar's wife tempts Joseph, and Joseph rejects the temptation, and as a result, gets thrown into prison. Eventually, he gets out of prison. He ascends to the prime minister spot of Egypt He feeds multitudes of people, saving them from starvation. And lo and behold, those same ten brothers, mercilessly who treated him and sold him into all of that pain, for 12 years of his life, because it wasn't until he was 30 years old that he got out of that prison, they come and they don't know it's him. And they say, will you please feed us? Oh man, what would you do? What would you do after all those years of brutal treatment, after all that pain? And Joseph says, it's me. I forgive you. You meant it for evil. God meant it for good. Now let's talk about Jesus. Jesus Christ was loved by his father. just like Joseph. He was rejected by his brothers. His own brother James thought he was crazy. They ran him out of town in Nazareth. He was rejected, just like Joseph. He was tempted by the devil, powerfully, withstood the temptation, and just like Joseph at the age of 30 started his life-saving work. He, like Joseph, fed multitudes. And when he's hanging on a cross, just like Joseph, Jesus said, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. What team do you choose? Do you choose the team that is led by somebody that even when they're mistreated so horrifically that they would say, I forgive you, I love you. Come and share in my kingdom. Let my light shine upon you. Or somebody who would be vindictive. The choice really isn't that complex when you think about it. Here's how these verses end. But to all who believed in him and accepted him, he gave the right to become children of God. You could become a child of God. And it's your choice. 
There's no sword to your neck making you bow down. Nobody's going to force you into a relationship with Jesus Christ. They are born not with a physical birth resulting from human passion or plan, but a birth that comes from God. I just have one fill in the blank today, and that's simply this, choose Jesus. I know there are things that happen in this life that other people do that can make the choice complex. But if we get past all that hurt and pain of where people have misrepresented Jesus and you look just at Jesus and you look just at history, well, you know, we're at a grave disadvantage if we, if we haven't really studied a lot of history. But because Arlington County is called the most educated county in the United States of America, as a matter of fact, then you guys are at a great advantage because you have the information right before you. You know this, and that makes it kind of simple. I know we like choices, but this choice becomes kind of simple because the world completely changed. His values have changed us, and they've changed the world. I encourage you today to choose Jesus, to choose light, not darkness, to choose love, not hate, to choose forgiveness, not bitterness, to choose George Bailey, not the evil Mr. Potter, because it's a much better, much better path. Oh, I'll say one last thing. Because I know some of us are going out of town for Christmas. I hope you have a Merry Christmas. I hope you enjoy your time with your family. I hope you love your biological family and you would never choose to be a part of any other family. I happened to be on Capitol Hill last Friday of all days. I was asked to um, say a few words and one of the uh, house buildings, the Rayburn, uh, for an event that was a lunchtime uh, event down there, of all days to be on Capitol Hill. This was decided months ago. Um, and the speaker, and this was kind of cool for me because I was doing a list of real brief little thing, and then the main speaker was talking about hunger initiatives, and we were getting ready to do our Hunger to Hope, which is an awesome thing. And uh, he was just talking about what does it take, actually, because... He had, he had led for quite a few decades trying to encourage that there be a change in what we do with our hunger initiatives because people um, in America, many places, didn't have food. They were food insecure. And he said, here's the biggest changing point. You ready for this? Here's, the, here's, how, here's where change starts. You got to get people together. Is it proximity. You got to have people... Listen to other people. You've got to have people walk in other people's shoes. I mean, that's where, that's where all the fantastic change. There is step one. That's where all the fantastic change. Everybody, we call it the incarnation. Jesus Christ, he chose to come down. He chose to come down. It, is there anybody else like that? Like all the other people saying that they're God and they're king and they're emperor, they choose to be separated. I mean, you hear fables about a king that would go and dress up like a peasant and hang out with the people. But we're talking about a true story about somebody who actually did it. We're talking about a fairy tale that's not a fairy tale. The first step is proximity. Jesus Christ takes on flesh, you know. His love for you is amazing. And I just want to encourage you today.
If you've never chosen Jesus before, today can be your spiritual birthday. And there might be lots of things running through your mind about how complex that decision is. But maybe the decision actually is really, really simple. And I'll say one other thing. For those of us who have made the decision to follow Jesus, here's the thing. The Bible encourages us to make that decision a million times over. Before you leave this building today, you're going to have an opportunity to choose Jesus' way, to let somebody go in front of you, to smile, to say hello, to be kind. This week, as you are hanging out with some family members, some that you like, some that you don't, there's always one that irritates us desperately. You have an opportunity to choose Jesus. Choosing Jesus is a one-time thing and a trillion-time thing. That's the way Hebrew thought works. It's a one-time thing and a trillion-time thing. This week, I encourage you over and over and over and over again to keep choosing, to keep choosing, to keep choosing Jesus. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for your love. Thank you that you are not a God that is far off, but this most famous story of all the Christmas story is about your proximity. How amazing. That changed the world. Help all of us in this room to choose you for the first time. Help all of us in this room to choose you a million times. In Christ's name, amen.